Hello and welcome to this episode of The Pod Presents Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTO Craft and Skillawale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow. On Stack Overflow, questions have to have a single right answer, and they can be closed and archived when they are considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer, and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we take one of those questions we talk about a range of different answers and the context that makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skillawell. We do live team coaching for tech teams, which means individually personalized hands-on sessions with a live expert delivered remotely in one-hour chunks to achieve a strategic goal. I've been a CTO for the previous 10 years before starting the company. I've run dinners for tech leaders for three or four years. I've been a CTO coach, and I've seen the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time. And that's because context is critical. I am delighted to be joined today by Arby Noda, the CEO and co-founder at DX. Hi, Arby. How's it going? It's going well, Hal. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I would love it if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah, I am, first of all, a programmer, still write code every day at my job currently, which is leading the company DX. Uh, Before DX, I was a programmer and then for a brief period became an engineering manager. Uh, And as I made that shift into engineering management, I quickly became obsessed with the problem of how do we measure software engineering. And that problem really came to a head for me when I was the CTO of a company and the CEO came to me and said, hey, Avi, all the other departments are reporting these various KPIs and metrics. Could you report something for engineering? And I'll, I'll leave a little cliffhanger there, but Basically, that question sparked a seven-year journey to try to figure out what are the right things to measure, what are the useful things to measure. And I call that my elusive quest to measure developer productivity because it is an elusive problem. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that today, but that journey has led me to what I'm doing currently, which is research, company building around this problem to help organizations figure out this elusive problem as well. Awesome. And yeah, I think that's pretty much all we're going to be talking about today, because the topic that we've got for this episode is, should I be using the space framework? And I guess it would be great as a kind of introduction into that to talk about your position on the space framework and maybe some of the interactions you've had with other people who've been developing the space framework, because I think that really sets the backdrop for the conversation that we're going to have. Yeah, first of all, I want to say really excited for this conversation and metrics measurement, such a polarized, opinionated, sometimes contentious topic. So I just want to Mm. say I want to, you know, approach this with uh, sensitivity. And also, I want to say that we're talking about the space framework today. The two lead authors of the space framework, Dr. Nicole Forsgren, Dr. Margaret Ann Story, they're colleagues of mine. And in fact, as you know, we're about to publish a new research paper focused on a similar topic. So I want to acknowledge that as well. Both Nicole Margaret and the rest of the team that wrote Space are incredible people. And Space is an amazing paper and step forward in how we talk about and think about productivity. So I just want to preface our entire discussion by giving them <laughs> props. Uh, you know, I think the to start off, I was recently having a conversation with an engineering leader who, who said to me, you know, I had hoped that 
the space framework would provide the answer, would provide this canonical set of metrics that organizations should be measuring. And he said, you know, instead, what it did was give me this, you know, three by five matrix of things with all kinds of metrics. And it only confused me further. (laughs) And I think that's the starting point for why I believe the space framework falls short in some ways. Um, I think, you know, the, the origin story of the space framework is that when the COVID pandemic happened, all of a sudden leaders everywhere, not just in tech, leaders everywhere were trying to understand and quantify the impact of the shift to hybrid and remote work on productivity. And so there was all this buzz and focus on how do we measure productivity? And Nicole, Margaret, and the rest of the researchers, they wanted to put something out there that challenged the conventional way in which organizations measure developer productivity, which as we know, typically revolve around ineffective metrics like lines of code, number of function points, number of velocity points. So they wanted to put something out there that said, hey, no, productivity is more than just the output of developers. It's all these different things. It's these five dimensions and you can look at it in these different ways. I think where the space framework falls short is that it doesn't actually tell you what to measure to improve productivity. And it doesn't provide, I think, a complete method. It provides this framework for thinking about productivity, but it's it's not easy to apply. So when we say, or when I say, perhaps that leaders shouldn't be measuring using the space framework or the space metrics, first of all, I want to say there are no, there's no such thing as the space metrics, right? The, the metrics mm. in the paper are examples. And I, I've, I think I've shared with you the quote from Dr. Margaret Ann Stewart. She said, these were just examples. They, they weren't suggestions. They weren't recommendations. This is not a canonical list of here are the metrics that you should be putting on the dashboard. And as I'm sure we'll talk about, if we actually go through point like bullet by bullet in the paper, we'll see metrics there that are questionable. We'll see metrics there that Nicole and all these other researchers have actually previously written about and said, these are bad metrics to use. So uh, that's my intro to this conversation is, you know, space doesn't get as far really as specific implementation. And therefore, there's a risk of leaders misassuming that, oh, we can just measure the space metrics when there really isn't such thing. Awesome. That is a fantastic intro. And what I particularly liked about it is some of the things that you've pointed out are actually reasons why I really love the space framework. And I agree with you that there's this need for something else that's almost like an, like an exemplar implementation, right? You want to see like, okay, this is what the framework is, but also here's the thing that you should go and do. And it sits within that framework, but look, here's your starting point. Before we get into that, I feel like I should say what we, what we decided as the kind of format for this, which is that essentially you working with Dr. Forsgren and Dr. Story on a, a kind of paper to succeed the space one, you're going to talk about the problems that you and, and your co-authors perceive with the space framework. I am going to try and defend the framework as it is, even though you are on the side with the people who originally wrote it. So hopefully we'll have a kind of bit of friendly back and forth and some productive disagreements about the qualities and shortcomings that it has right now. But first, as you are clearly the the expert here on what space really is, can you just run over the five parts of that acronym and talk about what each of them stand for? So SPACE is an acronym, as you mentioned. It stands, uh, well, there's five 
dimensions. Um, well, just to preface, space is an acronym representing the five different dimensions through which people can think about and measure productivity. And, you know, someone mentioned to me a few weeks ago, it was a good point, like these don't only apply to software development. Of course, this paper was written for software organizations, but you can actually think of these five dimensions in any context when you're thinking about productivity. Uh, and those five dimensions are S stands for satisfaction and well-being. And this is really about how happy people are, how fulfilled they are at work, how they feel about various aspects of their own productivity or the tools and processes in which they work. Uh, the P in space stands for performance. You know, again, it's kind of an abstract word, but at least in the paper itself, it's des uh, defined as an outcome, meaning you know how well something is actually happening. Uh, of course, that depends on how you would define how good something is, of course. Uh, a in space is activity, and this is about counting actions and outputs. So these are the more conventional ways in which I think people think about productivity. It's how much work are you getting done? How many lines of code have you typed? How many pull requests have you created? Uh, and in fact, as I mentioned earlier, part of the, I think, core points in the paper is that you can't just focus on activity. That's what people naturally gravitate towards, typically, when they think about productivity and try to measure it. But the authors specifically caution against that. Uh, the last two dimensions in the space framework are communication and collaboration. So this is not just looking at how much, how well are teams performing, how well, how much work are people getting done, but how well are they working together? Uh, how much teamwork is there? As we know, software development is a team sport. That's a slogan I know we used to talk about a lot at GitHub. We used to say software development is the biggest team sport on the planet. I like that because it's true. And lastly, the, the last dimension of space, E, uh, refers to efficiency, which is, again, a pretty conventional way in, in which people think about productivity. But these are things like how quickly does a task get completed or how quickly can you get a uh, code review turned around? It's, it's about the waste in the system. It's about the flow in the system and optimizing that for maximum productivity and output. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a that's a, a great kicking off point, actually. I am actually a really big fan of the way that breakdown works. And it, it highlights so many things that I think do indeed come together to make productivity. Because you mentioned the idea of being able to apply it in other fields. Often in other fields, we have easier metrics to point at that do summarize the outcome of the system as a whole. So your sales organization can point to new business or some number that eventually goes into a report and say, we have done well because that number is where it is. And it, you know, the last three months that number has been here, this is an organization that's succeeding. And in fact, that has always been one of the big challenges in software, as I'm, I'm guessing was the conversation you had with your, your CTO in that um, VP engineering position all those years ago there isn't really one metric we can use to summarize it, I don't think. And so uh, maybe this is this is my kind of opening point in defense of, of the space. The ideals behind space is it's so good to find something that acknowledges there isn't a single number. There is this constellation of numbers. And our job as leaders is to look at those, interpret them, add meaning, and check the balance of them seems right. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the the importance that the core point of space is that there isn't a single number and you have to look across these 
different dimensions. You have to look at them in different levels of scope. The, the paper also talks about looking at it from the individual level, the team level, the system or organizational level. The, the problem comes down to applying it, right? I, I think the, the generality and the broadness of this framework is really its flaw as well. And, and that's not to say flaw as in that the authors failed. That just wasn't really even their goal. Their, I don't think their goal was to provide a, here's a uh, you know, comprehensive framework and method to apply. This is, wasn't meant to be like uh, scaled agile, right? A very bad example, yes. but like the, the implementation <laughs> of a concept and a philosophy. This here really is, is a philosophy. And it's a, it's a really important philosophy because so many organizations have a different philosophy, which is typically just to focus on measuring efficiency and activities. So this paper really comes out and says, no, there's, there's much more to it than that. Particularly, the part about this paper that I appreciate is that it places great emphasis on the perceptions of developers. And that's something, especially that most organizations uh, discredit or ignore completely in terms of how they think about capturing developer productivity. Yes. So I completely agree that it stays away from implementation. And I agree that that, that leaves a space where people have to work it out for themselves. To me, that seems like such a good thing. So if I, if I look back over my career at like, a variety of good ideas that have come into the software world. I think each of them has been kind of transformed into something else. So if you, you, you mentioned agile and the scaled agile framework and it's incredible mess of <laughs> roles that it prescribes, but I would point to even something like scrum, which is so ubiquitous and so often referred to as agile. Like if you go to a company that says they are doing agile, they are almost always referring to we are doing scrum and in fact i think one of the signatories on the agile manifesto wrote a post a few years ago about the necessity of being agile rather than doing agile and i would point to the ideas behind the devops movement as well the the idea of kind of not siloing siloing essentially production work from development work but saying that teams should own things end to end um which in some quarters got transformed into, oh, we need to hire infrastructure engineers, but now we're just going to call them DevOps engineers. And so DevOps became this job title for the people who sat in that silo over there. And all the good ideas of DevOps got lost. And we're still doing our release every year on a Monday because, you know, we never release on Fridays here. And all of the nice ideas behind that got lost. And so I really like that space doesn't say, here is the answer. That The space paper just says, here are the things you should be thinking about. And it's on you as a leader to think hard about. And I, I agree that we need then someone to come and say, here is, here is a good set to start with. Here's a great starting point that the scrum equivalent of like, start here and then evolve your own way, work out what works for you. But space, space on its own, starting as a, here is a way to think about this problem, I think is magnificent. <laughs> I, it's a step forward. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have the greatest respect for the paper and for the work. However, I do disagree with some of the things you, you just talked about. Uh, I think mm. our industry has a, is a huge problem with copying and pasting uh, things that we read about, things that we hear of other people doing. And Agile, Scrum, uh, the Scaled Framework are fantastic examples of where copying and pasting goes wrong 
right? Both of us, I'm sure, have heard of so many organizations and teams that are being sunken because they've adopted certain agile practices without thinking about the true philosophy and thinking and purpose behind them. Uh, We see the same thing happen with microservices, Kubernetes, uh, the Spotify squad model. That's something I I recently spoke to a couple people from, from Spotify. We talked about how they don't even recommend it. They hardly do it themselves at Spotify. Yeah, they weren't doing it at the time they wrote it up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. How many or how many times do you hear of leaders saying, "Hey, we're trying to implement the squad model"? You know, how do you do it? And so, now to your point, space isn't providing that exact implementation, but I think a lot of people are, are actually misunderstanding space to be an implementation rather than the mm. philosophy. And I see examples of that all the time. I know Nicole, Peggy, I was Margaret Ann's story, they see examples of this all the time as well. When we were talking recently about the, the why behind the new paper we're working on, uh, Margaret Ann's story said, you know, we see so many organizations out there struggling to implement the space framework. And one of the things we see is that they use metrics from the list that they don't, the authors don't recommend. And an example of that would be, uh, I'm pulling up the table here now, but number of story points completed or code review velocity, number of code reviews completed, lines of code. I mean, how these are metrics. I mean, in Nicole's book, Accelerate, she specifically calls out velocity points, number of lines of code as metrics that you shouldn't use. And a lot of most researchers and experts out there say the same thing. So there's a little bit of dissonance in this framework because it is supposed to be high level, but I think a lot of leaders are misinterpreting it to be an implementation, particularly because that table is laid out so nicely. Uh, and when we see a table, we think, frame, you know, when we hear framework, we think, oh, this is something I can use. This is something I can apply. This is something we can implement. So I see so many organizations literally have this table you know, screenshotted into some kind of deck, some kind of doc, and they're like picking just metrics that, and and they're not finding success in doing that. Um, And in fact, I I think it's sometimes validating approaches that we know aren't good. Uh, And I think that's the danger in a philosophy that uh, does leave perhaps a little bit too much room for interpretation, perhaps also causes some ambiguity and confusion uh, in the marketplace, marketplace, I mean, industry. Uh, and so, you know, those are some of the, the problems I see with how the space framework is actually being used. And they don't have easy answers. No, and I, 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 that makes complete sense to me. I think if you say there is a need for, for you to think about metrics in this way, and here is an example of how you might do that, and you put it in a table, a lot of people are just going to look at that table. They're not going to read the text before it, after it, the caption, uh, the kind of the introductory text, the philosophy that led to it. I, I would say kind of like Scrum, except in this case, the thing that was provided as in the same way that Scrum fits with the ideas behind the Agile philosophy and the Agile manifesto. This is almost like if that manifesto had had in the middle of it, like just someone had stapled on, you know, the like Scrum handbook. The, the Scrum Alliance Guide to Being a Scrum Master. And then people are just like, right, I'm going to ignore all this stuff, ignore all this, you know, people over processes nonsense, and I'm just going to take that book and and do that. 
Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see that. And if the metrics in that table aren't ones that you want to stand behind and you just put them in there as an example, I can see why you'd be like, right, we need to get the new version out there as soon as possible because people are just copying our placeholder ideas and we really regret that placeholder idea. I would add that, you know, we've been referring to space as a uh, open, uh, you know, philosophy, a, a conceptual model for how to think about the problem and not an implementation. However, uh, the in the second half of the paper, it does rec- it does suggest an approach to applying the framework. And I don't have the that paper pulled up right now, but the the approach, from what I recollect, it essentially says pick two or three metrics across these different dimensions. And it refers to the example metrics in the paper as a pool from which to choose from. Uh, you know, I know because I was working with Nicole at the time that this was written, like this was not a methodology that was being applied anywhere. This isn't a tested, proven methodology in terms of the application part. The conceptual framework around the dimensions of productivity, that is based on decades of academic literature and research into developer productivity. However, the the idea of applying it in a certain way, like pick three metrics, that is mm. that was a idea that the authors came up with for the purpose of trying to you know, make this framework more practical. However, it wasn't a method that anyone at the time was necessarily using, uh, and it's not one that we're seeing many organizations have success with today. Interesting. I want to come back to something you said about the the activity metrics, because when I saw those, my my gut instinct is also that of like these are these are not metrics that I want to use, and I think that comes from a place where they have been offered as the main metric, right? From from in a world where where people are saying the the best way to measure your developers is number of lines of code, I have very strong feelings about that not being the right way to measure developers. If it's one of the measures being used, I think my feelings have softened towards that. And I want, I think it does have a place. And my opinion on that was really turned around by a conversation with a friend who basically said, for me, that kind of activity metric is like a leading indicator of burnout. So it's enough to kind of start a conversation, at least, that if people are still reporting that they are happy and the team is seeming relatively productive, but I can see that activity is dropping in either a team or specifically in one individual, then it might be that that person is doing more of the the glue work that holds the team together, in which case that's something I'd like to know as a leader. And it might be that that person is like completely struggling to be productive anymore. And this is going to be the first sign we see of it in that activity metric. And I hadn't appreciated that before, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of wisdom there. And it suddenly made me think, actually, I do care about activity metrics if they can give me that kind of insight. Yeah, I think it boils down to what your intended purpose is with a metric, right? These are all mm. signals, ultimately, and but they don't mean anything if we don't put them into a specific context or uh, put them up to show our teams in a certain way. So uh, I wouldn't, personally, I don't necessarily have an issue with your friend's uh, thinking around why they find a metric like that viable. Uh, but I would I would say two things to that. So one is that in using a metric like that, there there are risks. Uh, there are risks that you may, you know, developers find out and are 
there's backlash or they're, they're disappointed or turned off by the fact that a leader would be using a metric like that. Um, there's potential for developers to hear about that metric being used and then change their work patterns to because they're afraid that, oh, maybe my boss is using those metrics to to rank me against the other people on my team and I don't want them to misinterpret them. So I'm going to start pushing a lot more lines of code or commits each week and and that's counterproductive for the team. Um, So, you know, there's a cost to to using these metrics. There's also just a cost of that leader's time and attention going into looking at a dashboard instead of doing other things that might be more valuable uh, for that leader to be doing. The second thing that I would say is that the list of questions that you raise, that you heard from your friend, things like, oh, I wonder if this, you know, people might be burnt out, or I wonder if they might be doing a lot of glue work, or you know, all mm. those types of questions, a dashboard's not going to tell you the answer. The, the dashboard might get you to talk to people, but I would argue that you should just be talking to people. And then if you were talking to people, you wouldn't need the dashboard. So, uh, you know, the CEO of Twilio, uh, Jeff, he wrote a book called Ask Your Developer. I, I love that, <laughs> that sort of mantra of just ask your developers. If you have questions about what developers are doing, ask them. If you have questions about how developers are feeling, whether they're burnt out, just ask them. Uh, because no metric, particularly a metric like Lens of Code, is going to ever give you true insight into what is really going on and for any of those questions. They might give you a signal that prompts you to start a conversation. But as we know, a lot of times those signals are going to be false. They're going to be misleading. And you're going to be wasting your time chasing around these signals instead of just being a good leader and keeping a pulse of your team by treating them like humans and talking to them. So that's my perspective on on that metric. Yeah, and it's super interesting. I'm definitely a big believer in always balancing the qualitative and the quantitative. So so I can think of people who I have been managing who I've been having really regular kind of deep conversations like and I don't know, have built a lot of trust and having having conversations where we really go there in terms of, you know, the things that they're the challenges they're facing in and out of work. And still certain topics not coming up because people were finding it difficult to talk about or they were kind of, you know, trying to put a brave face on something. And so I think I think you always want as much insight as possible. And the job of the leader is not to kind of take one bit of that and say, ah, oh, look, I've I've seen that our I don't know, our sales have gone up, everything is great. But to take all of that as input for those conversations and take the conversations as input for looking at the metrics, which then become input for the conversations, which then become input for the metrics. And actually, one of the practices that I've grown to like a lot is trying to set up metrics that are always in tension with each other. So what this is one of the things that we found uh, in our leadership team at Whale is we very often will set up an ambitious metric for ourselves and then essentially think, how could we gain that? Like, what, what could we do that would mean we could, we could achieve that really easily? And then we set up another metric for ourselves that balances that. So, for example, we have an, an ongoing metric about the average uh, satisfaction of learners after a session. And if that dropped below 4.75 out of 5, we would, we would have failed significantly over whatever period of time we're planning over. And I think the same about this team where they might find out that I'm looking at the lines of code people are writing. If they started writing way more lines of code 
uh, every every month, I suspect they would be shipping less valuable features because their focus would be taken elsewhere. And so the job of the person who's setting those metrics, in my view, is to try and set metrics that are in opposition to each other so that gaming the system becomes basically impossible. Because ultimately, you know, any metric, any number can be gamed, any number can be manipulated. And so we need to make that as hard as possible. What do you, what do you think about that, Abby? Yeah, first of all, I loved your example of how you're using metrics in your own business. And I, I thought, wow, like that, yeah, makes complete sense. It's really valid, uh, healthy, constructive. I, I didn't like the, the final example around you know, using metrics in tension with one another so people can't game them. Well, like, what I don't like about that is it's just coming from this perspective of the, the leader sitting atop this, this throne looking down upon their peons, the, the, the plebs, the workers who are, you know, shoveling coal and trying to figure out, you know, how to sort of engineer the system to you know like bend people <laughs> into working harder but not not working harder in false artificial ways to game the metrics like just that way of viewing developers like like mice that need to be sort of uh you know bent into shape i think is you know part of the very root of the problem around how organizations think about developer productivity think about developers think about productivity in general. And that's actually where I wanted to suggest we go next in the conversation is that there's a more fundamental issue. So, you know, way, way deeper than just the space framework or the Dora metrics or, um, you know, any approach to measuring productivity. And that is to really align around what is a valid way to measure and think about developer productivity. Because I would argue that no matter what, rationale or justification someone can come up with for the usefulness of lines of code. I don't think there's any sort of valid argument for that being, based on principle, uh, a valid measure of productivity. And uh, Google recently wrote an article uh, called A Human-Centered Approach to Developer uh, Productivity, and they they come at this problem directly. So so they talk first of all, they quote Peter Drucker, who who I didn't know, you know, he's the one with the quote, you can't manage what you don't measure. Everyone loves that quote because it's like, yeah, we need metrics. He also has a quote that says, measuring knowledge worker knowledge worker productivity is one of the greatest challenges of the 21st century. And I think the in that paper, the Google researchers really lay out, they paint a picture of why the traditional ways that in business we've learned to think about productivity simply don't apply to software development. And they start by talking about how Frederick Taylor, he's sort of the, the, the originator of even the idea of scientific management, like the idea that we you know, measure our system to optimize it. You know, the researchers make the point that concept originated for tasks like shoveling coal, moving heavy objects, operating machinery in known repeatable patterns. You know, think of a, a car manufacturing plant. And software development is so different than manufacturing. There are aspects of software development that are industrial or mechanical or repetitive. But m the majority of work we do as software developers 
is is creative and it's complex. It's it's more similar to art. And so I was recently talking with the former CTO of Etsy who shared this analogy. He says, you know, how would you measure like painters? Like how would you measure the productivity of artists? You wouldn't measure them by how many paintings they're producing because you just get a bunch of crappy paintings, obviously, right? Uh, and so I, I just want to kind of highlight, I think there's this, this important theme, this important question that leaders need to really ask themselves is, you know, how do they view software development? What, what is it? And, and what are valid ways of measuring that very complex and creative activity? There's so much I want to talk about in what you said there, because I think you raised some really interesting points. So I, I guess I want to start by talking about the idea of like the person setting the metrics as sort of like the king in the, the ivory tower and the, the people below them as mice. Like I would say you should be adopting the same process for setting those metrics as you do for yourself. Like we do this for as an SLT for ourselves. And I think we found it really valuable. So I would definitely recommend it for for others. I don't think it's the case that uh, setting a number mean that people will drop everything and sacrifice good work just to make that number go up. Like I don't, I don't think people are that manipulative, but I do think the things we measure create a form of, of psychological pressure on people. So I'm reminded of like the story from the early days of Google when um, some, I can't remember the, the dude's name, but he ran a website like basically reviewing search engines back before, you know, back when there were like 20 that people might use rather than maybe two now. Um, and every so often they would get an email from this guy, which just had a single number in the email. It would be like 27. And that would be all the email said. It would come through and it would say 31. It was the number of words they had on the Google homepage. Because back in the day, you know, you went to like, any other search engine and it was just like this mess of stuff it was like it was like they'd levered craigslist onto the same page as their search bar and google had very few words this beautifully simple interface that i believe they talk about have spoken about that creating this huge pressure on them to keep the number of words on that home page low and to keep that down and so i think even if we are the things that we measure even if we're intending them in the most positive way and even if people are following them with the best intent there is a danger that they the act of measuring changes behavior it's a kind of heisenberg uncertainty thing right like you can't measure it without affecting it if people know that you're you're measuring it which i think is a big challenge for for leaders to to overcome right and i think it's probably the same like your analogy with the the painter um, and the number of paintings i imagine if you had a painter living in your house and every time they, they finished a painting, you like, you know, added a one to your counter on the wall, you'd be creating a big psychological pressure for that person to just churn out paintings, which might turn out to be, be rubbish. On the other hand, I personally have something of an allergy to talking about code as an art form. Um, it's one of the things I find the most kind of dispiriting when developers say that because I think it's great when people create art in their spare time, but the code that we write at work has to be functional. There's a there's a kind of function and form to what we do. Um, and so I think that there has to be some, I know, I know you, you would say the same thing, there have to be some cold hard measures about the software we create, as well as appreciating the kind of human side and the creativity and the 
the uh, ability for people to diverge and take wildly different paths to an answer and end up with something better than they might have done otherwise. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, that kind of, I think, takes us full circle back to the conversation around metrics like lines of code and whether these are really the, the right measures or good measures. Of course, the, the researchers behind space would all argue that it is a poor measure, uh, despite it being included in the framework. Mm. And I think I shared with you the quote, like, I've spoken to uh, Margaret Ann Story and Nicole about, hey, why was lines of code included? And and they said they they were laughing about how organizations you know, think that that's a good metric they use, but they wanted to include it there because this was really meant to be a meta analysis of you know, what is in practice today. They, they wanted this to be accessible. They wanted to build a bridge with people out there who might be reading this. Again, as I mentioned earlier, it wasn't meant as an endorsement of those metrics. Yes, uh, The example yeah. metrics were just examples, not recommendations. But I think t- to your point, this, this question of, I mean, first of all, even in space at the beginning, they talk about how this is still an elusive problem. They, they use the term elusive. Mm. There's a difference between wanting to align developers around the outcomes that you need them to deliver for the business. You know, to me, that is measuring their business impact and, and goals, no different than how you as a leadership team, your company are probably setting goals quarterly or biannual, whatever, uh, to align around what you're trying to achieve. And then some KRs, right? Like metrics to to kind of define um, with concreteness what success means. There's a difference between yeah. measuring and aligning around those business goals versus measuring the effectiveness of the, the like the the coal shoveling, like the actual activity of day-to-day development of software. And I think it's mm-hmm. important to to distinguish those. Are you measuring the effectiveness of your teams or are you measuring the value they're delivering? Those are actually two different things. They're, they're highly related, but they're two very different questions. And I think when leaders can see clearly that those are two different things with two different types, different stakeholders, uh, different use cases, different ways you would talk about them, review them, communicate them. You can't just throw all these metrics in one bucket that you you know go around sharing with everyone. They're, they're different things. They're different questions. I think once leaders can distinguish that there are these two categories or objectives that they might be trying to drive with measurement, then it becomes clear what the appropriate metrics are for each of those categories. And so a metric like lines of code, first of all, I don't think anyone, any leader out there would put that under the business impact category. No business out there is trying to get its developers to just write more code. That's that's not the, the ultimate impact that Normally the opposite, right? We would rather have have less code, less to maintain. Low code, serverless, no code, you know, build versus buy. Yes. Just have AI write all our code now. You know, we don't even want developers. (laughs) But uh, uh, now for effectiveness, that other category, that's where something like lines of code comes into play potentially. You know, but, but that goes back to the earlier point around the, the Google paper and you know, is lines of code actually a valid way of measuring how effective your development teams or developers are? And you know, I think the, the Google researchers, the, really the authors behind space, myself, we would all, all argue, no. It, it, it's a signal 
we can't, we're not going to deny that it is a signal, but is it really a valid way of measuring a developer or a development team? Yeah, we would argue no. I think this is really interesting because we're getting on the edge of philosophy of what productivity means and what we're trying to get out of it when we measure it. And I'm very nervous of that. I think uh, whenever I enter a discussion that gets philosophical, I feel like my head starts to explode um, and like I don't really understand what's what's true anymore. <laughs> but I, I mean, I definitely see the, the two sides of productivity that you're talking about. And I wonder if there are even more, right? If part of productivity, if there's like a, a part of this that is kind of predictive of well-being, then I think if it turned out that, I don't want to get hung up on lines of code, but if it turned out that there was some measure that was useless for measuring effectiveness, but it could give us that predictor of the kind of literal health of the team, that would feel like a useful measure that you could kind of include under productivity, but it would be a bit different from the measures of are we doing a, a good job for the business, right? It's, there is a different thing there. But actually, maybe this is part of the core of the problem is that productivity itself is this very wide target. There's like a, a lot of different bits to it that, that we care about. And there are, like you said, we, we really need to divide up our measures and say, well, like, I might look at this number, but only when I'm thinking about this, not when I'm thinking about that. Yeah, well, I, I think now we've come completely full circle back to the space framework because, like you, you know, the, the space framework literally is about how there are many different dimensions to productivity. Productivity doesn't even have a single definition, and there's a lot of research specifically mm. examining the fact that productivity doesn't, you know, it has varying definitions depending on who you ask and in what context. So, yeah, I, I think that is the the key conclusion of the space framework is. This is complicated. There's not a single definition. There's certainly not a single metric. There's a lot of bad metrics, and you definitely shouldn't just measure output and activity. And that leads to you know what I see as not the flaw is a negative word, the, the opportunity to to build on space and to try to provide a here's what you should actually measure to improve productivity. That that is really the question most leaders. Are trying to answer and still struggling with. And that's where you know, our subsequent research has been focused on. Yeah. And I mean, that seems to me like the perfect note to, to end on. I, for one, will be very excited to see what you and Dr. Falsgren and Dr. Story produce. So um, please, yeah, please share it with me and we will probably include it in future podcast notes um, as well if we can so that our listeners can check it out. Um, Abby, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on and for joining me in this discussion. I have had an awesome time. Yeah, likewise. This is really fun. Thanks for having me, Hal.